Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk. Hi, drunkies. Oh my god, hi. Oh my god, hi. What's up? Not much. What's up with everybody else? What's up with you, Tier? Uh, what is up with me? That's a pretty good question. Um, preparing to go into the wilderness next week. And I learned on my 23andMe that I'm more susceptible to mosquito bites than other people. It's like a genetic thing. So, um, wow. like, I didn't know recently, that. I just thought oh, yeah. mosquitoes picked and chew. They picked people they liked the taste of. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I am. I they like my taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I want. I guess taste is genetic. Your the way your blood tastes is genetic. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm just really sweet. <laughs> um, but I have literally like 16 bug bites on me already. So, oh um, no, kind of nervous, but. I'm excited for a little vacay. Didn't you buy that big bug spray set at yes, Five Below? Yes, I did. I just have not opened it yet. It's one of those packages that's like hard to open and I like haven't gotten there yet. Well, just make sure you pack it. <laughs> oh, I will. Oh, I will. <laughs> but oh. yeah, so what's up with you? Well, not much. I've been working, kind of. <laughs> Work, 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 work. Yeah, that's oh my God. Yoshi it. is still up on that shelf. <laughs> Why are you up there? He's a little thrill seeker. <laughs> He's just sitting there looking at me. He is like not blinking either. <laughs> if it helps, yesterday when the tropical doing? storm hit, Jenny was real determined to just be outside in the torrential downpour. She just wanted to go out in the rain. There was one point when I sent her out in the raincoat. I don't know why I kept putting her raincoat on her. It didn't do anything. And... <laughs> I called her name outside. She turned and looked at me, but couldn't open her eyes. That's how hard the rainfall was. She couldn't fully Aww. open her eyes to look Aww, at me. Oh, poor Bob. Uh, she, was, the- she was ignoring my calls to come in. She would come close to the door and then not come all the way in until <laughs> something hit the power lines or a tree fell or there was a really loud bang. We lost power and Jenny ran in. Oh, my gosh. So thanks, Tropical Storm Isaiah, or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> it's like Isaiah's, right? Or yeah, it's like a that? weird spelling. I don't know. I don't know either. All I know is but. I was super bored. We didn't have power for four-ish hours, a little over four hours. So I thought, uh, I'm bored. I'm going to text somebody. So I texted Alyssa in San Francisco. And, <laughs> uh, and I said, we've lost power. It sucks. And she goes, I know. And I was like, are you psychic? And she said her friend in Manhattan lost power and her family in New Jersey lost power. Oh, wow. I didn't lose power. That's good because a lot of I've lost power once since living up here and it was for like an hour. And I think I took a nap. Yeah, it was it was just pretty widespread over here. And trees fell. Our whole yard was full of new branches. There's Mm -hmm. still fallen branches stuck in the trees. So, thanks, Isaiah, <laughs> for nothing. For a lot. He did a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's not important today because the sun is shining. 
Today, I'm going to tell you about a case that's been nicknamed the Hillbilly Heist, which lends itself to our drink. <laughs> Yay. It's mostly called that due to the fact that the setting and the major players in the story are all from small towns around Charlotte, North Carolina. Hmm. So the drink, though, is the Hillbilly Margarita. And what you're going to do for this is get any glass you want, fill it with ice. I think probably a mason jar would lend itself best to this drink. Ooh, okay. And then you want to coat the rim in as much margarita salt as you want. If you don't want any, that's also fine. I usually drink like from one so- little section and take the salt from there and then leave the rest of the salt on a glass if I get a margarita in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like salts on margaritas. Like All the way around I'll the rim sugar. is too much. It's too much. Yeah, it's just like a lot of salt. Like I don't, I'm not, no thank you. Yeah. So anyway, then once you've had got it salted as much as you want, then you add the ice. That was I misstepped that. That was a mistake. Don't add the ice and then put it in salt. <laughs> That'll be messy. Oh, yeah. Put the salt first. <laughs> salt first. Then ice. Then add whatever tequila you want. The recipe that I found, which is on instructables.com by somebody with the username SlaneKK, uh, they said the proper amount of tequila to add is a matter of taste. So however drunk you want to be today, add that much <laughs> tequila. And then fill the rest of the glass with diet Mountain Dew. (laughs) Not regular Mountain Dew. It has to be diet. It has to be diet. I don't know. You could probably use regular Mountain Dew, but diet is what this guy said to use. And then, according to the recipe, stir with a butter knife and drink. I don't know why, but he felt the need to put a warning to not shake it. Don't shake this margarita. Diet Mountain Dew is carbonated. But, oh yeah, yeah. Stir it with your butter knife or whatever you have on <laughs> your hand. Butter knife. Oh my god, so accurate. And then <laughs> enjoy your, your hillbilly margarita. Yay! <laughs> and you can pause and make one right now if you want to enjoy the taste of a hillbilly margarita while you listen to the story of the October 1997 Loomis Fargo heist, the second largest robbery on U.S. soil. Cool. So now that you've got your hillbilly margarita and you've already stirred it very well with a butter knife, are you ready for the case? (laughs) Drink up, dead junkies. Here we go. In 1997, David Scott Ghent was working as the vault supervisor at the regional branch of Loomis Fargo & Co. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Loomis Fargo was established in 1997, so it was pretty new, by the consolidation of Wells Fargo Armored Service and Loomis Armored Inc. Mm. They provided armored transportation, as advertised, cash handling services, and automatic teller machine maintenance. It wasn't a terrible job, but it wasn't making him happy at all. In fact, it mainly stood in the way of his happiness. Gant said, quote, I was working sometimes 75 to 80 hours a week at 8.15 an hour. I didn't even have a real home life because I was never there. I was working all the time and unhappy. I felt cornered, and one day the joking in the break room about robbing the place suddenly didn't seem so far-fetched. Oh, my God. So people were just like, ha-ha, we should rob this place. And then this guy is just like, oh, my God, we should rob this place. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it started to present itself as a real way out to him. I mean, those hours at that pay... 
sounds absolutely horrendous. Yeah, so, I no, definitely agree. I, but so yeah. on the day he's talking about, he had been joking about robbing the company with fellow employee Kelly Campbell. When Campbell started at Loomis Fargo, the two quickly struck up a friendship and would frequently joke around with each other while at work. The joke of robbery was actually inspired by another Loomis employee from Jacksonville, Florida, Philip Noel Johnson. Earlier that same year, in March of 1997, Johnson stole $18.8 million from the Loomis Fargo armored vehicle that he was driving. This robbery was the largest cash robbery on U.S. soil. It still is. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did he get away with it? No. Oh, damn. (laughs) That would be sick. (laughs) Yeah, it would. It was... He was caught and it was all over the news. But all of the people that worked at Loomis Fargo were joking about it. It was a pretty common topic to joke about, I guess. But in this case, the jokes kind of stopped being laughable and started becoming a real possibility. Oh, my God. In August of 1997, Campbell, who had now left the company, told Ghent that an old high school friend of hers, Steve Chambers, could assist Ghent in robbing the Loomis Fargo vault. Chambers had actually brought up the idea of robbing the vault earlier in the summer after learning that Campbell had worked there. Ghent told the Gaston Gazette, quote, I was unhappy with my life. I wanted to make a drastic change, and I went for it. Honestly, this guy, I love this guy. He just, he was in a rough spot in his life. He saw a ticket out, and he jumped at the chance. Yeah. So over the next few months, Ghent, Campbell, and Chambers developed a plan. The plan was for Ghent to commit the robbery by himself and then flee to Mexico, leaving most of the money behind with Chambers and Campbell. Ghent would hide out in Mexico with $50,000, which was the maximum amount of cash allowed across the border by law. Which is an interesting fact I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And then he would wait for the heat to die down and Chambers would send him more money to survive. If he had to stay there a prolonged amount of time, he would keep getting deliveries of money. Hmm. Campbell, who had already made Gemp believe that she was in love with him, convinced him that she and her two children would later join him in Mexico. She was lying. Kelly told the Washington Post, quote, that would be living on the run and I didn't want my kids to live that way. Steve told me to tell David whatever was necessary to keep him happy. So Kelly actually had David Gent wrapped around her finger. Yeah, he would do he would do anything for her, even though both of them are married. Wow. (laughs) Eventually, once enough time had passed, they would then return to the United States and they would divide the full sum up equally between all the conspirators. They all agreed to control their spending for the first year or so, believing that law enforcement will be tracking the spending of any and all suspects for at least a year, which is probably true. So now with a fully fleshed out plan, they put it into action on the night of October 4th, 1997. At around 6 p.m. that night, Ghent sent the newly hired employee he was training home early, which sounds awesome to me. If I had just been hired and I was like training and somebody was like, hmm. Go home. I can handle this. Yes. So. (laughs) So this person went home, probably really excited to get off early. And then Ghent proceeded to load somewhere around $17.3 million in cash into the back of a company van. After a solid hour, Ghent left the building and met up with Campbell, Chambers, and a few others involved in the plot just outside the building. They then drove off with the stolen cash to a printing business called Reynolds and Reynolds in Northwest Charlotte. 
There, they unloaded the cash out of the company van and into private vehicles. Their own vehicles. Wow. Ghent actually took $25,000 with him to Mexico, and the rest was supposed to be delivered later over the course of a few trips by a man that Chambers knew named Michael McKinney. Ghent managed to make it over the border just as law enforcement discovered his involvement in the theft. Oh, wow. So he made it. But only with $25,000. So, like, that sucks. And only Ghent. Ghent was the only one going to Mexico. (laughs) So the morning after the heist, Loomis Fargo employees realized that they couldn't open the vault and they called the police. Once the police realized what they were dealing with, they called in the FBI because most of the money handled at the facility belonged to banks, which made it a bank robbery and a federal offense. From the very beginning, Ghent was the FBI's prime suspect. He was the only employee unaccounted for the morning after the morning after the robbery and if that wasn't enough security camera footage showed Ghent removing quote cubes of cash (laughs) and loading it into a Loomis Fargo armored van (laughs) what an idiot (laughs) this is just the tip of the idiot iceberg wait (laughs) two days later investigators found the Loomis Fargo armored van with 3.3 million dollars in the back Apparently, the robbers had underestimated the bulkiness of the small bills and decided to abandon the cash that they could not carry with them. They just left $3 million in an abandoned van. Imagine, like, finding that van on the side of the road. I thought about this the whole rest of the time I was writing up the case. Like, how has nobody stumbled upon that $3.3 million? How did nobody in those two days just see a van and go, hmm, that's weird that that's there? And walk up to it and find $3 million. I would have just taken all of it. <laughs> that guy would have made a, made a, that guy would have gotten away with it for sure. Yeah. Just a random person being like, finding oh $3, million. God, $3 million. <laughs> that would have been amazing. If I, if it had been me, I would have been like, woo, I'm paying Sally May. I know. And then right? I'm going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so awesome. Yep. But nobody got it. Damn. <laughs> Investigators also found Gent's pickup truck, which he had abandoned at the warehouse because he drove the Loomis armored truck out. Inside the truck, they discovered Gent's wedding ring, which they assumed was a symbol of his intention to end that relationship. No, no. Oh. Gent. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean. That's a shitty way to do it. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Like, give her a call and be like, hey, I'm going to rob this bank. I'm not going to include you in the plan, though. And then I'm going to run off to Mexico with this girl and her two kids. Yeah, I guess. Is that cool? I guess. Like, if this feels like an easier way, it's definitely an easier way to yeah. do it. But it might also be slightly nicer just to not tell her all of the rest of it. So she's not like an accomplice. Right. Oh, it also does that. Maybe he intended to make it clear that she didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. He, I mean... He might not have been thinking about that. <laughs> I don't know if he had the capacity to be thinking about that. <laughs> That's fair. Ghent ended up on the resort island of Cozumel, and at first, his spending was somewhat extravagant. He stayed in a luxury hotel, ate expensive food, and went out on tourist excursions like scuba diving and parasailing. What happened to, oh, we're going to... We're going to not, we're going to control our spending for the first year. Well, I mean, this isn't that bad. I honestly, 
I can understand this amount of spending. You just made it to Mexico. You might be captured literally any day. I would also do this. <laughs> Make the most of it. Yeah. But you're right. And more to the point, he only has $25,000. Yeah. So eventually, Gent had to reach out to Chambers for some more money. But Chambers only sent him $8,000. So in order to conserve this money, Ghent made an effort to adjust his spending. So he stopped staying at luxury resorts. He stopped going on tourist excursions. And he also took multiple measures to disguise himself after a patron at a restaurant told him that he, quote, looked like the man who robbed a bank of $20 million. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Maybe I should. Like, hey, you look like that criminal. Okay, maybe I should disguise myself then. <laughs> I'm I'm picturing like a montage of him going to the grocery store and buying like hair dye and like trying on different clothes at the thrift shop, <laughs> like a makeover montage. Yes. Oh my god, that would be amazing. He like spins makeover. around in the if salon you, chair with a, with a new hair. To make do. it funnier, give this guy a real quick goog. It's uh, G H A N T T just to know what he looks like normally because he. He needs a makeover montage, but like picturing him in one is really hysterical for me. Oh my god, is it the guy holding the bags of money? Yeah. That's him? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he could be in Tiger King. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and for his next starring role... <laughs> That's so funny, oh my god. Yeah. So because of their connection from work, it took the FBI no time at all to connect Gent to Kelly Campbell. They'd been so close at work and other coworkers had noticed. So they, di they didn't waste any time telling the FBI that, oh, he was close with this girl. And then they went and questioned her. Gent would actually tell her that he loved her and she would say it back, but she didn't mean it. Campbell had been depositing money here and there throughout the months following the heist. According to the Charlotte Observer, quote, she bought herself a minivan and told her mother she'd borrowed it from a friend. At Christmas, Santa brought the kids not just a couple of presents, but a pile. A bicycle each, video game, video and computer games, teddy bears, dolls, etc. So while she's spending the money, I she seems to be spending it on stuff that she could really use and needs. Like, aside from presents for the kids, she's kind of spoiling the kids, but... Yeah, but Again, I can really understand this kind of spending. Agreed. Four days after Christmas, the FBI called to talk with her for the third time. They questioned her about her relationship to Ghent again and asked her when she last spoke with him. The pressure was getting to her at this point, though. Campbell was frequently irritable with her friends and family, and she was eating a lot more. She gained a lot of weight during this time period. The connection to Chambers was harder for the investigators to make, but he didn't go unnoticed by law enforcement officers for long. Steve Chambers had absolutely no intention of honoring their agreement to control their spending. He believed that there was no way the FBI could ever connect him to Ghent. So barely a week after the heist, the Chambers went from having almost nothing in their bank account to having tens of thousands of dollars in multiple banks. Him, <laughs> so. He's an idiot. Him and his wife are both idiots. Yeah. 
In early November, Michelle Shelley Chambers carried a briefcase full of cash to a teller at a first union in Salisbury and walked out with a check for $20,000. A week went by before Steve and Shelley bought a brand new white BMW Z3. They moved from their mobile home in Lincoln County to a mansion on the side of Kramer Mountain. Mobile home, mansion. According to the Charlotte Observer, the place was huge. 7,000 square feet of fresh start and fine living, marble foyer, wet bar, wine cellar, enough bedrooms for their kids, a sunken master suite with fireplace and jacuzzi. Stephen Shelley paid $635,000 for it and called the movers. <laughs> and they didn't move much. Like, I don't can't imagine that they had much in their double wide, but they didn't take a lot from it to move to their mansion. Don't be suspicious. What? Don't be suspicious. <laughs> don't be suspicious. <laughs> yeah, basically, they were doing that dance all the way up the mountain to their mansion. <laughs> so what they did take from their double wide didn't even fill up a moving truck. Chambers' cousin was planning to move in, so they left him a few things. The Chambers told the movers to take the big screen television, the dining room chairs, the clothes, the toys, and some heavy steel barrels from the shed. <laughs> I wonder what was in there. Don't be suspicious. Don't, Don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chambers reportedly told the movers that these barrels contained dog food, but... I don't know who has that much dog what? food on hand <laughs> other than, I mean, the animal shelter, ARF might have that much dog food, but, but one family. One family does not. How many dogs did they have? I don't even one. know that. I mean. <laughs> they had no dogs. Maybe was, Imagine they didn't even they have a dog. No d- <laughs> we just like want a dog. So we're like. <laughs> so we're prepared. Like we have all this dog food. We don't know how much a dog eats because we've never had one. <laughs> but like now we're going to get some. <laughs> That's crazy. So the sudden change in lifestyle didn't go unnoticed. The Charlotte Observer article explained, quote, they bought a pool table and jewelry, all kinds of jewelry, rings, necklaces, watches, pendants, earrings, pearls, diamonds. They bought $20,000 worth of cigars and put them in a humidor. They bought bags and bags of candy. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like it sounds like two kids got a hold of a bunch of money. Exactly. It's <laughs> it's two idiots who all of a sudden came into millions of dollars and decided we're going to get everything get we ever wanted bunch of in candy. just a few months and candy. They also renovated the house, decorating it in Shelley's taste, which meant a lot of animal print. There was actually a tiger print runner going down the staircase, oh my the main staircase. God. <laughs> And they did keep a few furnishings that were left behind by the previous owners. Although this has been rumored to... I read in a couple articles that Steve Chambers purchased this. And then I read in a few that it was left behind. Either way, it's well known that Steve Chambers had a painting of Elvis in black velvet. The painting was done on black velvet. (laughs) I don't know, but he was really excited about it. And he told everybody. Oh my God. What an idiot. Even more suspicious, Chambers never discussed how he earned his money. At one point, he claimed to be an ex-football player, but he couldn't give a team name to go along with his story. So, 
somebody asked what team he played for, and he was like, oh, one of the northern ones. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> like, good try. At one of the chamber's Friday pizza parties, which was a regular thing that they did, they threw, like, pizza parties for all of their also, like, legally rich neighbors to celebrate the end of the school week. They just were celebrating weeks at this point. And... <laughs> So at one of those pizza parties, one of their neighbors saw a duffel bag stuffed with so much cash that it looked too heavy for even a built guy like Steve to lift. Oh, my God. So, obviously, it didn't take the FBI long. Another tip came in to them. So their neighbors, before I get to that, their neighbors were calling in tips on them. Their neighbors were immediately suspicious of this. And then another tip came into the FBI after Shelly made a large deposit at a bank. Normally, she made small deposits to avoid suspicion, except for that, you know, that one I talked about earlier. (laughs) But on one visit, she asked the teller, quote, how much can I deposit before you have to report it to the feds? She she asked this to a bank teller (laughs) and then oh, wait, wait, wait. And then followed it up by going, don't worry, it's not drug money. Oh, (laughs) don't be suspicious don't be suspicious (laughs) yeah so the teller filled out a suspicious activity report and (laughs) yeah eventually the fbi got on the case ghent commented on the chamber's spending in his interview with the gaston gazette saying quote it baffles me to this day i don't want to be mean but that's probably the dumbest thing they could do I wanted to get as far away as I could. I knew I was going to be the prime suspect. If you go from a mobile home to a mansion, that's going to attract attention. Yeah. <laughs> so even David Ghent, bank robber extraordinaire. Like, These guys are fucking knew- stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was really dumb. Oh, my God. So the FBI began monitoring the chamber's activity. They followed both Steve and Shelly when they left the home and tapped into their phones. Through those recordings, investigators learned that Chambers still believed that Ghent was the only suspect in the heist and that he could not be connected to him. However, Chambers was now concerned that if Ghent was caught, he could give him up and destroy his new lavish lifestyle. The FBI overheard Chambers plotting to have Ghent killed by having his former delivery man, Michael McKinney, now act as a hitman. Let's hire somebody who has never killed anyone before to be a hitman. That makes so much sense. In one of the articles, Hitman is in quotes. He's not even really considered <laughs> He's a Hitman. not a Hitman. So now the FBI is concerned for Ghent's safety. So they increased their surveillance on Chambers, and eventually they got the break they were waiting for. Ghent called Chambers from Mexico for some more money, and the FBI was not only able to record the call, but also trace the caller's location. On March 1st, 1998, FBI agents and Mexican police arrested Ghent at Playa del Carmen, a city near Cancun. The very next day, Stephen Michelle Chambers, Kelly Campbell, and four other conspirators were arrested for their involvement in the Loomis Fargo heist. While in court, the judge asked David's family to stand, and a dozen people rose to their feet, including David's wife, Tammy. She still came to show her support. David's mother also came to show her support. Because, I mean, it's a stupid decision, but he didn't kill anybody, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 20 people showed up in support of Kelly, including her children and her parents, who reportedly would have sacrificed their own retirement money to get her a good lawyer. So, they both came from really good homes. They were just super poor. Her, Kelly's dad actually said, all I need is to catch a good fish every once in a while. Like, I don't understand why people need to be rich. Like, he didn't. (laughs) 
Yeah, they they both they both come from really sweet backgrounds. They just nice. They just wanted something different. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I honestly can't fault them for for the theft. Like it's if you had a chance to try and go, it was a real good try. It was a real good try. A for effort, guys. Real A. On March 12th, a grand jury indicted all eight co-conspirators for both the charges of bank larceny and charges of money laundering because of how they spent the money. In addition to the eight co-conspirators, 13 other relatives and friends were charged with money laundering since they had co-signed for safety deposit boxes that were used to store the money. Prosecutors ultimately decided to press charges on the grounds that they should have known the money was obtained through some illegal means. So these are just family and friends that they asked to co-sign for boxes that are now facing federal charges because of them. That sucks. All but one of the defendants pleaded guilty. The one to plead not guilty was actually Chambers attorney Jeff Guller, who was ultimately found guilty of money laundering and sentenced to eight years in prison. So should have just pled guilty. For their mm-hmm. unwinning role in the money laundering, most of the rest of the family and friends were just sentenced to parole. Michelle Chambers was sentenced to seven years and eight months in prison, a harsher sentence than some of the other co-conspirators because she had violated several bond conditions. Kelly Campbell was sentenced to five years and ten months in prison and ordered to pay back more than $4 million. Campbell was also court-ordered to go through a mental health and drug treatment program and spend two years in a supervised release program. Although I couldn't find anything on her release, Kelly should have been released around July of 2004 or 2005 and then should have finished her supervised release program in 2006 or 7. Steve Chambers was sentenced to 11 years and three months in federal, in federal prison and fined for more than $3,500,000. Chambers finished serving his sentence in November of 2006. He now operates a gym in Gaston County and stated, quote, I've moved on with my life. That's good. David Gent was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison and fined $26,000. He does still have to pay back millions of dollars to the federal government. After his release in 2006, Gent took a job operating a bulldozer for a small construction company. In 2016, he was asked to come on as a consultant for the movie Masterminds, a comedy about the Loomis Fargo heist starring Zach Galifianakis as Gent, Kristen Wiig as Kelly Campbell, and Owen Wilson as Steve Chambers. Oh my gosh. It is hilarious. I highly recommend. Despite <laughs> this new gig in Hollywood, Gent cannot be paid, as he still owes the federal government something around $3.8 million. Oh, he no. told the Gaston Gazette that, quote, every year he files his taxes and the IRS takes all of his tax return. In October 2018, Gent published a book that discusses overcoming the mindset that led to his criminal activities and how he started on a new path in life, titled, and this is my favorite part, the Book of Dave, A New Path After a $17 Million Misstep. The Book of Dave. I love the title so much. I love that. Gent has no contact with his former co-conspirators, but he does wish them all a happy life. The, oh my God. the FBI later confirmed that more than 88% of the stolen money had been located. The rest, totaling over $2 million, is still missing to this day. Oh, wow. And that's our story. Um, I-, I loved it. I found David Gent on Twitter, by the way. Really? <laughs> um, yes. And 
is why I was, yes, that David Ghent, <laughs> LOL. He's so open about it. He'll talk to anybody about it. And he said he and Zach Galifianakis are really good friends. He loved the movie. The movie is a comedy. So, I, I mean, and it's hilarious. It's really, really funny. The Michael McKinney the, is portrayed as more of a hitman, not a delivery man in the show. It's Sorry, in the movie. And he's portrayed by Jason Sudeikis. So it's fucking hilarious. He's so That's funny. Amazing. It's so funny. I just followed I just followed him from our Twitter. If you guys want to head over to our Twitter to find his page. Um he he looks like he has like a family. Yeah, he does. He got married and he has two children now. And he says he has to somebody else. Yeah. And he says he has no regrets because he if he hadn't gone to prison, he wouldn't have the life that he has now. And he's so sweet. He also seems like he's really into video games, like on Twitch. That's cool. I'm going to start following him on Twitch. (laughs) I don't know if he I can't figure out if he actually streams on Twitch or if he just like watches a lot of Twitch, Twitch streams of people playing video games. He seems like a really good guy. He seems really. I think he. Yeah, I kind of like him. He just thought this could be my chance at living a life of luxury. And it was. It just wasn't a good plan. But it's... I don't know that anybody can steal that amount of money and get away with it. If you were to find a Loomis Fargo truck full of $3.3 million, maybe. Maybe. But $17 million? No way. (laughs) So that's the story. If you want to watch the comedic interpretation of it, which I found absolutely hysterical, watch Masterminds. It's available on Hulu. Um, I need to watch yeah, it. It's, it was really, really good. And normally I'm not his. Normally I'm not into Zach Galifianakis's humor, but he's okay. really That's funny. Fair. Really funny. Really? He's just playing like he's playing David Gent like a southern doofus, which is kind of, I guess, <laughs> what you could get from the story. Yeah. But he's. <laughs> I mean, he's really funny and really awkward with Kristen Wiig's character. <laughs> uh-huh. Like they start as their partners in a truck and she gets in the truck and he's just looking at her like, like just super excited. <laughs> he's got this really big smile on his face and he looks super weird, but he's just really excited that this super cute lady is, is with him on the job. <laughs> That's so yeah, funny. but it's, it was really good. Um, so I highly recommend. But if you do want to follow David Gen on Twitter, you can find him through our account, which is at Dead Drunk Crime. If you want to see our take on a hillbilly margarita, you can check it out. Well, actually, not videos, but if you want to see a really cute cartoon of a hillbilly margarita, we've switched up our marketing. We're gonna see how it goes. <laughs> you can find it at Dead Drunk Crime. And you can share your drinks with us on Instagram or even on Facebook at Dead Drunk, a true crime podcast or Dead Drunk Discussions. Right. Talk to us in there. Tell us what you want to hear about and what you think about this case, because I thought it was pretty hysterical the entire time I was researching it. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed this. You can tell that to us on Facebook in Dead Drunk Discussions, which I'm excited about. Share your memes there. I need more memes. I keep finding the same ones. There are a lot of Ted Bundy memes out there. 
Also, <laughs> you can read more into this case or get into our sources on our website at deaddrunkpodcast.com. And you can find links to our merch in the show notes and in the blog posts on our website. And check us out on Patreon. We're still in the process of unlocking Israel Keys. We are. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Patreon.com slash deaddrunk. Come join us. Come join us. Come be a loyal drunkie. Yes. But don't get so drunk that, you know, you think it's a good idea to steal $17 million. Because <laughs> it's probably not. <laughs> or if you're going to steal $17 million, please do it in a smart way. <laughs> yeah, don't immediately buy a new house. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. So that's our case. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> I loved it. I do. I loved every second of it. I did find a pretty fun chaser for you. It's a money psychology quiz to see how you feel about money. I love money. It's by Empower. Yeah, it's it's mostly to see how you feel about spending money. I love spending money. (laughs) This will be good. So this question, the first question is a world without money sounds amazing or impossible? Impossible. Question two. Oh, hold on. I have to click that one again. Okay. Would you rather stick to a strict budget or get punched in the face? Get punched in the face. I also <laughs> picked that because it's fast and you don't have to <laughs> don't have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You check your bank balance regularly or the other answer is the emoji for hmm? for like shrugging your shoulders. Um, I'm going to say that one. I kind of don't like to look at my bank balance because it makes me anxious. That's fair. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people. I would rather just blindly spend money. <laughs> Spending money makes you feel joy or pain? Joy. A friend still owes you $100. Do you follow up on it again or forget about it? They needed the cash. I want to say I'm somewhere in between, but um, knowing my history, it's probably forget about it. <laughs> That's I what I feel awkward. About ask- I feel awkward asking people for money, even if they owe it to me. Yeah, it can be really awkward. I just, but I, I also I thought like about that. I also thought that that just kind of fits you. Like, you're a very... <laughs> it's giving, only $100. <laughs> yeah, you, that's how you would answer it. And you're a very giving person. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Next question. I don't know what number this is. They're not numbered. What do you want more? To live every day like a vacation or a skyscraper with your name on it? To live every day like a vacation. A hundred percent. Right. What, what am what I going to do, do with, with a, sky- a skyscraper? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, this qu- this isn't really a question. It just says, let's talk about your 401k. And then it has the emoji with the glasses, the nerd emoji, or the, like, mm emoji. I'm going to say the mm emoji because I don't, like, have a 401k because I'm in the teacher's retirement system, and I think that's different. Yeah, I don't – I think that I have one, but I don't know what it is, really, so – all right, this one has more than two answers to it. So this one is, your birthday's coming up. You oh, yay. plan a small get-together with a few loved ones, throw an elaborate party for your hundred closest friends, 
Spend the day creating a wish list instead of working. Figure out how to schedule it around your work calendar. Or insist on no gifts, but instead start a fundraiser for your favorite charity. An elaborate birthday party. With a hundred of your closest friends? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe not a hundred, but I wouldn't say small. Okay. Like in a perfect world, a <laughs> hundred of my closest friends there. All right. Your significant other is most likely to complain that you're always splurging to make yourself happy. You're always spending money to impress people. You're always using money to take care of others and never yourself. You're always avoiding the topic of money. You refuse to spend money on basic things that will make both your lives better or you're too busy working to spend time with them. The splurging one. The first one? Yeah. <laughs> I sent my mom a TikTok the other day that was like, I repeat after me. We, we don't, don't need, need it, it. We don't need it. I want to get it. <laughs> my mom was like, that's us. That's what, I was looking at something on Etsy yesterday on my phone. And I'm like, John, I need help. And he's like, why don't you like sleep on it? Like, just put the phone down for right now. <laughs> All right. What's your money motto? Money doesn't grow on trees. The best things in life are free. It's better to give than to receive. I never look at the price tag. Money makes the world go round or money is burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I think it's burning a hole in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it needs to go. <laughs> I thought it was either that one or I never look at the price tag. Oh, you know what? Yeah, it it's might be that, that one. one. When they think about it, everyone's like, how much is that? I don't know. I just bought I it. I already, I already put <laughs> I the other know. one and it won't okay. let me go back. So we're going to go with that. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Your friends are splurging for first class, but you're strapped for cash. You put the upgrade on your credit card. You're not getting left out. Sit economy and are genuinely happy for them. Sit economy and secretly judge them for wasting money. Sit economy and secretly judge them for being classist. Or upgrade with the miles you've earned from work travel. Put it on my credit card. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we knew it was the first one. Like, I knew I could stop there, but I wanted to read out all the rest of the questions, the answers. I like how they had different options for what you could judge your friends for in economy. <laughs> like, sit economy and judge them for being classist. Judge them for wasting money. No. <laughs> no. You, you get FOMO I do very get easily. FOMO. I'd be like, Mom, all my friends are flying okay, first most class, Mom. <laughs> yes. Are you ready? I don't know what question this is, but it looks like, oh, it's number 12 okay. of 15. We're almost there. Most of all, money gives you the ability to provide for those you love, feel safe and secure, feel proud of your accomplishments, buy things and experiences that let you enjoy life, Afford the lifestyle that shows you've made it. Or to be honest, you'd rather not have to deal with money at all. I think feel safe and secure. Yeah, yeah that's like the, the the base level. 
of money, right? Okay. Yeah. I feel like, you know, yeah. I feel like that was a responsible answer. <laughs> that was a good answer. Oh God. This one's going to be hard for you. It was hard for me, too. I was like, oh, I don't know. You what just won $500. Oh. What are you going to do? Treat myself to some retail therapy. Buy a thing or experience that I put on Instagram. Give it to a family member that needed my help. Give half to charity. Gleefully put it directly in my savings account. Or I wouldn't pay much attention to it. I have bigger fish to fry. Uh, I'm going to say the retail therapy one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I said, too. Yeah. It's like you want yeah. it. Treat yourself. Okay. All right. This is the last question. What's your biggest struggle financially? Paying attention to when the bills are due. Using money to impress others, even when I know I can't afford it. Feeling comfortable with spending money, even though I have plenty. Providing for those I love, but still setting aside enough to properly care for myself. Splurging too often on the little things, which makes big ticket items unobtainable. Feeling like no matter how much I make, there's always people who make more. That last answer seems stupid. There's always going to be somebody that makes more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go with splurging too often on the little things. That's fair. I think that's a problem for most people. Yeah. Oh, you got the same as me. We oh, are really? the hedonist. You know how to enjoy life. Money's not going to get in the way of your freedom. Your superpower. Yeah. You can instantly turn money into joy. <laughs> <laughs> it also says your money nightmare. Your money nightmare is all discretionary spending power is taken away from you. Though you have plenty of money, it can only be used for the bare essentials. No, thank you. There's there's so <laughs> much here. Holy shit. What money means to you? You can't take your cash to the grave, so you might as well enjoy it while you can. Celebrating something? This round's on you. See a good sale on plane tickets? You're packing your bags. Whoever said money can't buy happiness just needs to spend more time around you. <laughs> uh, that's so accurate <laughs> there's more this is oh no some, some people may think you're irresponsible but what they don't see is your hustle behind the scenes you work hard to play hard even if you can be a wee bit avoidant about checking your bank statements did you really spend <laughs> that much treating yourself last month it's not that you regret it or anything it's just that you may have some financial repair work to do <laughs> and then there's a section called how to blame this all on your childhood <laughs> Do you want to hear that? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. It says, early on, you learn to associate love which spl with splurging on material things. Oh Spending money is, a, is an expression of love, whether it's for others or for yourself. Hello, self-care. I'm reading all of this. I'm not making... <laughs> you may have grown up quite well off and got used to a certain standard of living that you can't imagine not having now. Or you may have grown up with extremely frugal parents who saw luxuries and splurges as a waste. Their conservative spending didn't get passed down to you. Nah, you rebelled. And you're not going to postpone your happiness until retirement. <laughs> Mine's the first one. The first one? Yeah. I think I'm the hedonist because of the second one. <laughs> I think a lot of times I was like, can I have that? And my parents were like, no, why would you need that? That's dumb. And now I'm like... I can have it whenever I want. <laughs> mm, yeah. No. 
Mom, it's your fault. <laughs> I just love that there's a whole section on how to blame this all on your child. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Yeah, thanks, Mom. Uh, all right. Bye, Mom. <laughs>